When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Action fanatics, welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. Chris the Brain and Chad Cruz with you. And Chad, we're kicking off our third year of the Bulletproof Podcast in a monumental way. Uh, one of your favorite films. Once again, it's a, it seems like we're going through the Chad Cruz favorite list lately. Yeah, it's it's about time is what I have to say about that. Well, I would say it's about time that our YouTube channel got updated. Uh, and it has. It, it's it's a lot of activity over there the past few weeks, Chad. It certainly does, has. It's got new life. And, uh, and you know, you know me and I kind of go through these stents where uh, I get motivated for a, a couple of months and I put out some video content and then you know it eventually is going to die off let's be honest but uh let's just try to ride ride it while it's hot and uh, see if we can get some decent videos out um latest video uh which i believe will come out uh, just a few days before this podcast is uh probably one of my favorites and any fan of machine guns will have to agree that it may be my best work all right uh, a machine gun we yeah, recently had a, a tribute to the training montage uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme doing the splits. Uh, so yeah, a lot of interesting content, new content on our YouTube channel. So be sure to check that out. You can click the link, of course, on bulletproofaction.com. It'll take you right there. And when you're there, subscribe. Yeah, click all these buttons. There's all kinds of buttons on there now, like subscribe buttons and uh, alerts, little, yeah. little bell thingies. And just click everything. Right. Click it yeah. all. Click the ads. All. Click the uh uh, clear cash data and all that stuff. Okay. Bookmark the page. You, yeah. Do all the above. And then refresh and do it all again. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. uh, sounds like maybe you're trying to pad the numbers, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, speaking of numbers, I, I want to, for the first time in, you know, bulletproofaction.com has been around for what now? Seven years. Are we at seven? Uh, yeah, we were uh, at, at seven least, years. Yeah. Seven years. Yeah. We have never had a post that crashed the site before. That is until 10 things you didn't know about nobody. Yes. And Mr. Bob Odenkirk himself. Yeah. Action superstar, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. The most unlikely action hero of 2021. The most unlikely bulletproof action hero of 2021. This man took that link tweeted it out to his many, many followers and crashed Bulletproof Action for about a half hour, 45 minutes. Uh, 
just uh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, in, in a matter of less than a day, it became like our second most read post of the year. And, you know, one of the few times in, in the history of the site when we can be happy that something crashed. Right. Uh, you know, we're like, normally when something crashes, it's a bad thing. But when you're getting too many clicks, it's, you know, you have yeah. to applaud Mr. Odenkirk. And uh, I don't know, do you have his address? Maybe we can send him a bottle of wine or... Right, or at least a Bulletproof Bush, Action t-shirt. So 30-pack of Bush Light, maybe. Maybe. Something heart-healthy. I mean, he did have that episode <laughs> That's uh, true. That's earlier true. this year, and I'm, we're glad he's, he's doing better. And I hope uh, we see in Nobody too. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but, well, I don't know. If he's got a bad ticker, maybe it won't be coming so soon. Well, we'll see. We will wait that news. Uh, and... Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about before we get into our show is uh, last week, as this is airing, we had our special Charles Bronson tribute for what was Charles Bronson's 100th birthday on November the 3rd. Uh, and a lot of sites. It would have been. It would have been his 100th birthday. It would have been, correct. Yeah. If, if he was still with us, he would have been 100 years old. Uh, you know, it, there were tributes all over social media and all over the internet for him. And, and rightfully so. The man is a, a legend and an icon. Um, and we had our, our special countdown of his Canon films. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to thank some of our special guests for that. Uh, Saurabh Dutt was back with us. Mr. Adam Howe, Austin Trunick of the Canon Film Guide, and really the big get for this one, the Bronson historian himself, Paul Talbot. Uh, great to have all these guys involved joining uh, you, me, Matt, and uh, the Toy Man. Right. As we counted down Bronson's eight best canon films it's always great doing these these countdowns and these uh these lists with these experts because it it makes you feel so small brain yeah it just makes me feel like i'm i have little to no knowledge whatsoever uh, especially when i read their work i'm like oh great uh now i have to actually try to write something good well you know i do that partially just to keep your ego in check um, i appreciate sure, that make sure you you know, your, your, your two feet are still on the ground <laughs> and you're not getting too big for your britches over there. So with yeah, all my, with all my success, with all your success and yes. your YouTube videos. Oh yeah. Just and, blow it up and, and whatnot. So there it is. Charles Bronson tribute. Definitely enjoyed that one. And if you missed it, you can check it out. Bulletproofaction.com. But let's get into it now, Chad. Let's talk about it. This is episode 53 and we are talking about Highlander a movie that celebrated its 35th anniversary earlier this year, March the 7th, 1986. And uh, I'm going to get right into it because this thing, when I, I watched it uh, just the other day in preparation for this episode, and a lot of great things happen right off the bat. For me, and I don't yes. know if you saw this on your copy, but for me, the Canon logo came up. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, and, and there's a reason for this and the Highlanders in kind of that gray area, kind of yeah. like kickboxer where it wasn't produced by Canon, uh, but it was released by Canon in, in parts of the world. I think mostly for Highlander it was the UK. So, but for whatever reason, the Canon logo is on the Amazon prime uh, version of Highlander right now. So, right. And I, I watched it on Tubi and it was the same. Uh, I was very confused because I don't ever remember seeing the logo come right. come out in the beginning and i was like did i miss this all the, you know for all these years but you know 
I'm, I was happy to see it. Let's just right. So yeah, I think yeah, here in America we would not have seen that, uh, but until oh, okay. now, until the streaming services of today. So yeah, seeing the Canon logo right there is automatically warms up my heart. Then we get some Sean Connery narration, which is wonderful. The man yep. with a very distinct voice. And did did you ever read the uh, the bit of trivia about that where that that narration was recorded in like a bathroom in Spain or something? I did not. Yeah. So that if you listen to it again or you go back and watch it, it kind of sounds very echoey. And they didn't do that in some sort of post production audio. They did it because he was the acoustics in the bathroom, uh, and and they loved the sound of it, so they kept it. Well, at least there was no toilet flushing in the background. That That's true. Really there was no like, you know, farting or anything. <laughs> right, right. They cleared it out uh, before they uh, <laughs> recorded, which is a good thing. Uh, and then we get the music of Queen. So, I mean, you got Cannon, Connery, Queen. And if, if all that wasn't enough, then it happens. <laughs> then it happens. Six man tag team action. Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel, and the Tonga Kid taking on the fabulous Freebirds. I can't Buddy Jack Roberts, Michael P.S. Hayes, and my boy, your boy, Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that given that first three minutes of this film is it's not your favorite film of all time. Well, it's my favorite film starring Terry Bam Bam Gordy. That's for sure. That's for sure. I, and you know what? It's funny with his look. He could have, he could have done a lot of film. He could have been you know, like Terry Funk. He could have done all those, you know, trucker and uh, biker movies and stuff like that. I mean, absolutely. He had a great, he got, had a great head of hair on him. He did. And you know, he was a large imposing man. Big boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. He would have been perfect for the movies for sure. So yeah, we get some, some wrestling action. Uh, I do want to point out, they do seem to, to want to allude that they're in Madison square garden. I don't, that is not the case. I think they're actually at the Meadowlands. Um, but uh we have this faux Madison Square Garden six-man tag team match. And in the midst of this raucous crowd, Chad, we meet our hero for the first time. Connor McLeod, Mr. Christopher Lambert. And uh, he's not really paying attention, though, to the action inside the squared circle. No, he doesn't seem to be having as, as good of a time as, as all the, uh, you know, the rednecks around him. But it's funny because, you know, I've been to plenty of wrestling shows and there are quite a few people in the crowd that have that same look on their face. And I don't think that they're there for the same reason as Connor McLeod. And, and I, I have some questions, you know, I've seen this movie a, a thousand times over the years and I never really thought to ask myself why Connor McLeod is at this wrestling event. Um, and I kind of like to ask you that question now. Well, you know, if he saw that Terry Gordy was on the show, I would okay. think that would be a reason to go, but you know, yeah, it is interesting that he's there. Um, I wonder if it's just like a, you know, I know originally they wanted to to film at a hockey game, an NHL hockey game. And NHL said no because of the, you know, they kind of had an idea that they were going to highlight the violence of the sport. And this being a violent movie, they didn't want to kind of connect it to. So they went with pro- professional wrestling instead. But it's it's odd that Connor McLeod and even uh, Facil is at this event. Um but, uh, you know, maybe Connor knew something that we didn't, and he knew this guy was going to be there. I don't know. It, that could be. It could be. Um, well, yeah, I mean, later we find out, you know, he can – he's in tune with animals and whatnot. So, yeah, maybe he did know Fasil yeah. was going to be well, there. Well, you know, they can feel one another. Right. Uh, maybe Fasil had a had a uh, 
an office in the building or something. Who knows? That could be. That could be. Who but cares, yeah, really? so what? Right. Right. Uh, who cares? Great, yeah. great, great analysis. <laughs> so Connor is is not really paying attention, but in his mind, the the, the violence in the ring yeah. takes him back to some violence in his past. Yeah, um, and we we see this great battle, um, in in good old Scotland, I believe. Yeah, and uh, so that's kind of we're, we're going back and forth, and and this movie does that throughout, where we're, we're going back in time and back into the present. Um, but yeah, Vasil, uh, we, we get him in the parking garage, right. which of course, you know, this movie just proves a theory that we've had on this show numerous times that parking garages are some of the most dangerous places on the yes. planet Earth. Yeah, bars, parking garages. I mean, if you're going to go into a parking garage, you better have a sword with you uh, because there's a good chance someone's going to attack you. Yeah, and, and we get a sword fight uh, between these two immortals. Um, and, and what a fight it is. It, it includes running on top of cars. The sprinkler system gets uh, punctured and we get water. Every, so you get that kind of classic fight in the rain. Except this indoors, but it's fine. Um, the backflips were, were something special. <laughs> They're bizarre. And, and actually, you know, it, it's hard to put yourself in the mindset of someone who, who comes into this, this movie with no knowledge of what it's really about. Um, because if you think about somebody who walks into the theater and maybe they've seen a trailer, maybe they've just heard this movie is really cool and they go see it. You've got these two random people in suits, essentially fighting with swords in a parking garage. And one dude is doing backflips and it's like, it makes no sense. Like, and then eventually, you know, as we discussed the, the one guy gets decapitated and there's like a electrical craziness. Like a, he's all, he's zapped with all these, uh, with all his juice and, as an outsider who hasn't seen the movie a hundred times, you're like, what the hell is going on in this film? Yeah. Facile gets decapitated. There's yeah. The, like you said, the electrical disturbance going on. Cars are starting up on their own. Then they eventually just blow up. Um, it's, it's quite a scene. And um, not surprisingly, uh, this attracts the attention of the authorities. Uh, so once, uh, you know, Connor hears the, the sounds of, police sirens approaching he decides you know he better get the hell out of there um and instead though before we we could see him make his escape he wants to go once again go back in time 1536 i believe is the the date and uh connor mcleod and his clan are about to go into battle and this is where we meet our big antagonist yes mr clancy brown uh portraying the Kurgan, one of the greatest villains in, in the history of cinema, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just, he brings such a physicality to the role, but also, I mean, you could close your eyes and he's still villainous because the sound of his voice, the, uh, just like the rhythm of his delivery, everything he does is it's just awesome in this film. And we don't get a lot of his backstory. And, and I know that they filmed scenes for more backstory of the Kurgan, but I'm actually like, I'm glad that they didn't put it in there because the fact that he's so mysterious, you know, we only know that he's like the most powerful of the immortals uh, and that he really wants to kill Connor McLeod. So right. it's like, uh, it makes him even more scary in my opinion. Yeah. And if you recall in our born to be bad episode that we did with uh, Ty Clancy Brown was his, uh, his white whale. His he's white whale. He, yeah. He wanted, wants to interview the most uh, and just could not get to. And it's a good choice. 
I think that speaks to to the level of villain he is, and probably backs up what you were saying, being one of the one of the greatest villains of all time. And he, and even when we first see him, he's in this really cool armor. And uh, you know, later we're going to see him again in the in the present time of 1986, and he's not wearing cool armor anymore because that's not what you can just walk around in. Um, but he he's in like a a very odd assortment of clothing. And, uh, I mean, he just always brings it. Every scene he's in, he, he steals it like instantly just with his look. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells everybody, you know, he wants Connor for himself. So it's a great, great scene there because nobody's fighting Connor and he doesn't understand why, like they refuse to fight the man. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great battle. There's bagpipes, there's swords, there's carnage everywhere. Um, and then it's Kurgan who finally steps up to him and he just stabs him. And, and we hear it for the first time. There can only be one. Um, but uh, he doesn't quite get the job done, Chad. Yeah. Uh, there can be only one. Okay. There can be only one. Is that what I said? Yeah. He gets a, he gets a pretty nice jab right in his gut, but uh, a couple of Connor's buddies uh, dive in at the last minute and stop the Kurgan. And it's great. Cause you know, they're, they're pushing the Kurgan back. You know, uh, James Cosmo is one of the guys, I forget the other guy's name, but, uh, James Cosmo, you know, legend of every Scottish film or anytime there's a historical Scottish Irish or hell, even Greek film, he's basically playing one of the guys, but he, uh, they all tackle the Kurgan and push him back. And he's like, another time McLeod, you know, cause he doesn't fear anybody. It's the Kurgan, damn it. Right. And he's immortal. What the hell does he care? He's got all yeah. the time in the world to kill Connor McLeod. Yep. So we now cut back to the present time. Connor speeding out of the garage, sands his sword, but the police have the exit covered. Uh, next thing you know, Connor's going to jail. Um, we should point out that Connor in, in present day New York City is the identity of Russell Nash, antique dealer. Okay. Um, and we find that out. But once again, we're right back in time and we see Connor, that, uh, that jab to the gut has caught up with him and he is on his deathbed. Uh, and then we're back to the parking garage and we meet some of, uh, some of the other key characters in this movie, including, uh, the cops, uh, Lieutenant Frank Moran, who was played by Alan North, who many of you may remember from the long kiss. Good night. I'm sure Chad Cruz remembers him from glory glory. Yep. And one of my favorites lean on me. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember him in that one. He is the mayor. Okay. And, and lean on me. Um, we also meet Detective Walter Bedsoe, who's played by John Polito, who I will always remember from The Crow. I know mm-hmm. you are a fan of The Rocketeer. I am indeed. And uh, I also remember from old Remo Williams. He has a small part in there. Mm. Uh, teaming up with the uh, old Gene LaBelle uh, and trying to take out Remo at the Statue of Liberty. Um, and yeah, we also then meet a real key member of this film, the forensics expert herself, Brenda, played by Roxanne Hart. Yeah, I believe she was in the uh, Heart Foundation. I don't think she was. No? Okay. No. Yeah. Hell, you know, that was pretty big. Who knows? She might have married one of those guys at some point. She, she, the Hearts, yeah, there were a lot of them. Uh, Brenda. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Hart's wife. Bruce, let's just say that. Okay, we will. We can say that. It's a lie, but we can say it. Brenda <laughs> finds the million dollar sword. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool scene. And, and, uh, 
parts of the movie, I, I like the idea of, you know, you've got these guys that through, all throughout history, these guys are immortal. They've lived for hundreds or thousands of years and they're all carrying different weapons. And she finds Fasil's sword that, you know, it's worth a million dollars. And I don't remember how old it was, but it was old as shit. And, uh, you know, it's just left there. Whereas, you know, if, if you were there murdering somebody and you saw this sword, you would probably take it and sell it because it's worth so much money. Right. But the fact that it's left there is, you know, kind of mysterious in its own way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, th I think this movie does a lot of that where, you know, it, it keeps cutting in and with all these, uh, um, you know, the video of, of Connor in the 1500s and the 1600s and, and it's, it's kind of feeding you more information that way. When you see it in present day, you're not as confused like right. I was at the beginning. Yeah. So now we've got, uh, Connor, AKA Nash down at, in police custody. He's being questioned. Uh, Frank has a theory that, uh, you know, that Nash was there to buy the sword from Facio. That's a good theory. And, uh, the deal went bad. So, <laughs> Nash just killed, straight up killed him, which is a, a jump there, but, you know, believable, I guess. Uh, Nash thinks the guy was just upset about the wrestling show <laughs> and maybe killed himself. That's, you know, the suicide by decapitation. Yeah. Um, you know, I like this piece because in today's world, <laughs> in today's social media, yeah, you would think. Some people would do this to themselves based on a stupid pro wrestling show. And I love pro wrestling and I always will. Yeah. But for God's sake, people, calm the hell down about your shit. No one's yeah, making you watch it. If you don't like it, you can watch something else. Uh, yeah, but F fandom, fandom is, is a tough one because you can love something and then hate everyone else who enjoys it at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and I and think that, Star Wars fans know know that really well, but pro wrestling fans, it's the same way. It's it's definitely becoming that way, yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask you a question about a character in this movie, okay, named Officer Garfield, okay, who seems to have quite an issue with Nash. And I was just wondering if, because his name is Officer Garfield, was it a Monday? <laughs> and that's why why he had a bug up his ass, or or what the? I mean, because he goes after. Guy that they really have no right. hard evidence that he's done anything wrong, uh, and he's just going after him. He's questioning his sexuality, yeah, uh, and just really, I don't know what the hell he's got an issue with. But, I think yeah. he's using you know the the good cop bad cop tactic where he's trying to set Nash off. He so he's he's you know poking at him with everything he's got. He's you know calling him these names and and uh, he's just trying to set him off. Hope, yeah, hoping to, he just slips up yeah, in and, rage, and then he could beat him, beat him down with his you know belly club or whatever the hell he's got. Gotcha, gotcha. That's my theory. Yeah, you you might or just get him so upset he's like, yeah, I killed a stupid guy, leave me alone. Uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe, yeah, or maybe I he's could, just an asshole. He could just he could be an just, asshole. That's very possible. You know, I mean, I, I've heard there's a lot of them in New York. So, well, okay, the, and there's our listeners from New York turning off, now. or maybe they would agree with you. I don't. They know. probably agree. Um, so yeah, Nash and Garfield, not friends. Um, and, but Nash basically at one point just says, if I'm not going to be arrested, then I'm leaving. And they have nothing to really arrest him for. <laughs> right. Cause I mean, he was there, but speeding. Yeah, I, I suppose so. <laughs> but now business is about to pick up 
because Kurgan is now in 1986, New York City, uh, under the name Victor Kruger. Okay, that sounds like a very G.I. Joe-esque name. It, it does. Um, yeah. And he, he's brought his sword with him, and his sword breaks down that he can carry it in like a case, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's sweet. Uh, he checks into a cheap motel. A few moments later, he's visited by Candy the Hooker. Well, and, good you know, for him. <laughs> life is good if you're if you're Kurgan, I guess. I like when he's, uh, Candy comes in and uh, the camera view changes. So you get this perspective of you just kind of see uh, the Kurgan's face and she steps into the room. And, Hi, I'm Candy. Of course you are. That's excellent. So, that was that's, a great Kurgan. Thank you. Thank you. Clancy, call me. <laughs> we need a butt double. What's he going to call you? A voice, butt voice or butt double. <laughs> Uh, so the forensics report has come in and the metal that was found on the scene is a metal that really should not have been found at the scene because it's, I don't know, centuries old. Is that, is that what it would be? Yes. Centuries yeah. Old. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously Brenda's thinking, okay, this, there's, there's gotta be a mistake here. Let me go back to the garage and see if I could get another sample and we'll do this all over again. So she goes to the garage, but so does Mr. Connor McLeod, because the reason he did not have his sword when he was pulling out of the parking garage is he stashed it. Yeah, that was smart. So he's going to get his sword back. Um, and, you know, she kind of hears somebody freaks out a little bit, which then she really freaks out because the two of them end up at the same bar. Yeah, they're both they both seem to have issues with alcoholism. Um, hold on. Let me take a drink real quick. OK. Yeah, but uh, Connor Connor starts questioning her and asking her about Madison Square Garden, and uh, she essentially thinks she's a stalker and and runs off because she's frightened by how weird he is at the bar. But yeah, then she becomes a stalker right after that. So yes. it's somewhat hypocritical of her. But yeah, so she's now following this guy because she's like, okay, what's with this dude following me? I'm going to follow him. See how he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> That's this is the only time it's ever worked. <laughs> right, right. So any other time it's been tried, the person was raped and killed. <laughs> so Brenda, uh, she's there. She's she's got a front row seat. This is better than Madison Square Garden. Oh she's yeah, got not not better than Terry Gordy. Come on, man. <laughs> if Terry Gordy would have been involved in this fight, <laughs> this movie would just been over because Gordy would have won. He would have become immortal, and he'd right now still be with us. Dude, so uh, his hair. He'd be a 152-time WWE Universal <laughs> Champion. He, he's the, and I would be so happy to see it. Sorry, Roman, but even Gordy could beat you. So. Yeah, you can't mess with Bam Bam. No, no. So, so we get the fight. We get the. There can only be one again. Um, but the fight gets interrupted in an interesting fashion. I've never seen a fight interrupted this way before. Uh, interrupted by police helicopter, Chad. Yeah, which. You know, police helicopters just cruise around. I don't, I mean, I guess it does kind of make sense because they were sparking shit up and yeah. Okay. So, you know, in, in my city, yes, uh, our police helicopter is in the air or one of them is like at all times. Wow. It's cruising around. I had a chance to, to fly on it once and uh, not as a, as a prisoner, uh, <laughs> but they just cruise around all the time. 
So, you know, it's not out of the ordinary that they could just cruise up on, on some people, you know, well, I guess it's in a big metropolitan possible. city such as New York. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, yeah. You, know, you but, want to be watching as much as you can every which way you can. But if they're in some, uh, some, some shithole neighborhood, which tends to be where the helicopters cruise around then, um, they would, uh, it, it's not impossible that it could happen, but yeah, I don't remember this ever happening in a film and the fact that they just run off and they're like, Oh, now they're, they've gotten away scot-free like instantly. <laughs> they ran around the corner and the helicopter's like, Hey, come back here. Right. And, and well, and that's, there's the problem with, the, with the helicopter situation is you really can't go after somebody who's running. No, um, it's difficult. Could, you'd have to fly too low and you would die. Yeah, you, you, that's where you know you just radio in for right somebody else. Exactly, teamwork. Uh, yes. So now we're going back in time again, Chad. Yeah, why not? Last time we saw Connor, he was he was out of it. He was dead. He was on his deathbed. But yeah, now he he's back. He is alive again, and obviously this is freaking people out as well. It should. Um, they think he's he's made some sort of pact with the devil that he's back up and running around and. Uh, so they uh, attempt to beat the devil out of him, as they say. <laughs> yeah. I felt like that this happens, uh, if this were to happen in the year 2020, people would be like, oh my God, it's a miracle. Uh, he's back. He came back to life. It's, you know, modern science or medicine, whatever. But in 1536, they're like, he's in league with the devil. Like, club him to death. I'm like, oh shit. That's a tough time to I think you're giving today's people a little bit too much credit. I think You're they would freak right. just as much out, if not worse, then they'd want to know his family and they'd kill everybody. Yeah, um, that's probably true. Um, but yeah, speaking of family, it's, it's his, uh, I guess, brother or cousin, Angus. Yeah. Steps, stops the mob and is like, okay, James we Cosmo. Can't, we, there you go. We, we can't let this guy die. We, we can't just kill him or beat him to death, even though it wouldn't have worked anyway. They didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's like, let's just get rid of him. He's not, he's not, we don't want him here. You're banished. Go get out of here. You're freaking us out. We don't want you here, dude. So Connor's gone. That would have been an interesting flashback though. Had they just beat him mercilessly and then gave up after like four hours, like whatever. Yeah. They're dying from like cardiac arrest. He's just in a pulp on the ground. Uh. Yeah. And he just keeps popping back up. Jason Voorhees style. Yep. Yep. Check out Jason X, our last episode. Yep. And he could do the, you know, the, the Christopher Lambert laugh, the, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Lambert's got, he's, he's good. It's the first time we're talking about Christopher Lambert on this program. Well, if we're going to go back in time to a Lambert film, I think this is the, the right one to start with. I, yeah, I would agree I think with you. The only time he did an English film before this was, was Tarzan. Yeah. Greystoke, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And I don't know if he spoke much in that because, you know, the word on the street was he didn't really speak. He didn't speak fluent English before Highlander. He had to, like, learn English. Well, Tarzan didn't need to speak fluent English. Right. Correct. So you, you could get away with it. It was a good good, good call there. All right. So Connor's banished. Uh, we get our first look. We go back into the present or at least 1986, and we get our first look at Connor Nash's uh, antique shop in his apartment. And this whole setup seems like something that Chad Cruz would have dreamed to have. Dude, I I loved it, and especially when you go into his little secret room with the big sir, half moon couch situation. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. And it, when I was a kid, 
uh, I marked out over it big time. Yeah. So yeah, I knew when I watched it, I'm like, Chad Cruz has, has envisioned himself in this situation <laughs> and in this setup. Yeah. Um, and, yep. and I, I was accurate. I was correct. I was right. Um, so once again, though, we're going back in time. And now we see Connor. He's he's out of the village, but he has himself a lady. Oh, yeah. The lovely Heather. And we get some happy times. And the two mm-hmm. are out in a field somewhere. Boning. Oh, yes. And uh, interrupted by Ramirez, played by the legendary Sean Connery. Uh, Sean Connery knows who uh, Ramirez knows who Connor is mentioning that they are brothers because Sean Connery's Ramirez is also an immortal. Um, and we also get the first mentioning of the quickening. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's cool that they, they insert these, uh, these cool terms in there that, you know, over the years, uh, I've seen pretty much everything Highlander, like the, the shows, the, the animated show and the other show and the one show with Raven on it. That was terrible. <laughs> um, and even the late Adrian Paul films that were awful. And the quickening has always been somewhat confusing to me because <laughs> they talk about it in different ways. Yeah. Like at times, like, you know, the quickening is like this thing that's inside you or, you know, when they kill somebody and they get this zap of lightning and like, that's the quickening. And then there's like, other times where they mention it in a different way. I'm like, so it's kind of confusing. I'm glad you said that because I, I definitely was confused Yeah, uh, about that. And I know Highlander 2 made everything worse because, <laughs> I mean, the movie is is absolute dog shit for one. But they, they like kind of rebooked everything. <laughs> and they're like, all right, whatever. These guys were aliens, right? And they came from this other planet and... Connor might have won, and but now he's he's immortal or some shit now. And Ramirez comes back, and they're like, "Dude, whoever wrote this needs to die instantly." <laughs> it's so bad, <laughs> and it it ruined all the continuity that they had, and it like this cool mysterious uh, world that they're setting up in the first film. It just goes to hell. So I had a yeah. hard time keeping up. I know there's at least 20 reasons why that movie sucks. Yes, uh, there are. And you can you can find out what those are on bulletproofaction.com. Um, so, yeah, we, we hear about the quickening. We go back into the present. Um, Brenda is kind of snooping around at Frank's office, decides to take him to lunch. And I wanted to just point out that Christopher Lambert takes some of the best mug shots in the history of mug shots. I mean, he people does. would pay good money, like a glamour shot, to look as good as as Lambert's mugshots do in this movie. Yeah, I think those were his headshots. They may have been. They may have from, been from his agent. I understand. Okay, so we get more <laughs> flashbacks, and, and this is the part I also really was like, Chad Cruz, at this point in the movie, is going to have his the biggest action boner he can yep. get. And he's got his. Never mind. So you, yeah, we get the flashbacks with Ramirez and Connor. They're not getting along, um, but we we start getting into the training and yeah. the back and forth. And the, the first scene, they're on a boat, and Connor's freaked out because he can't swim, but then he also realizes he can't drown because he's immortal. Yeah, yeah, it's a you know show me don't tell me kind of thing. As much as Ramirez tries to tell him about these skills and ability or these abilities that he has now. Connor just kind of doesn't get it. Uh, he's still like fearful of things like water 
because he can't swim. Uh, so Ramirez, you know, what's the easiest way to, to prove to him that he can't die? I'll make him drown. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a badass scene. And, and this whole uh, montage, this whole training time, you know, you're, you're getting the story, you're getting like the elements of, of, of what immortals are, what, you know, why they're there and all that stuff. You're getting just enough to, to kind of satiate that hunger, not too much information, but just enough from Ramirez. And you're, of course, you're getting it from Sean Connery, so it makes it much better. Right. But, but Connor's also learning how to sword fight, which he gets pretty good quickly, I guess, uh, or at least his his stuntmen do. But um, And there's also the element of like how badass the Scottish Highlands look in the background. So Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, this is all... Oh, tons of great scenes. The whole thing where he's just hanging out the, at the bottom of the lake, just sitting there because he can breathe underwater. He's laughing, laughing away, having a good old time. <laughs> uh, we hear about the gathering for the first time. Yeah. Um, and Connor also, we, I mean, at this point we already know, uh, but this is where Connor learns about decapitation being the only yeah. way to kill another immortal. Um, and then we get some, you know, but it's not all good news for Connor um, because Ramirez is basically like, dude, you can't have a family. You can't have kids. Yeah. You probably need to leave Heather. Um, I'm 2,437 years old. I've had three wives in that time and, and I've had to deal with that and it's not good. And uh, I guess it took three for him three times and he was out. Yeah. Um, so it's just better. Just leave her now uh, and, and, and avoid the pain. Right. And, and that's part of, you know, the, uh, you know, we talked about Queen earlier, uh, writing some, some, uh, original music for this, for this movie. And I think that after they had seen the film, one of the, one of the members of Queen had come up with the song who wants to live forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's got, it's, it sounds great. And it's, you know, that that's part of that tragedy of the film is like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool to live forever and go through all these decades and centuries. It's like, would it be? Because all these guys seem miserable, except right. for the Kurgan. Well, yeah, except for the Kurgan. Right. Everybody you would be close to, yeah, would die, and you'd still be going on. And uh, yeah, you know that'd be that'd be tough. Uh, we also, you know, Ramirez also is like the Kurgan. We learned, you know, officially he is the strongest of all immortals. Um, and if he were to be the last of the immortals, psh, humanity would be in the shooter. Um, more so, than more so than it already is. Well, yes. So this all kind of is a prelude, though, because we get Kurgan versus Ramirez, and what a battle this was, Chad Cruz. Yeah, it's awesome because you know Connor's holed up in this uh, cool like stone tower with Heather, and 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 Connor's I don't know he's at the store or something. He's gone. And, <laughs> Pick up uh, milk. Yeah, and Ramirez is in there just like talking to Heather, being all charismatic and charming and telling stories and stuff. And uh, Kurgan breaks in looking for Connor, but he finds Ramirez. So, you know, why not just take his head off, right? Right. Uh, so we get this awesome sword fight and you kind of get you get that, uh, you know, the big mass of muscle Kurgan just swinging this giant sword around. And you have Ramirez. He's kind of playing the, the smarter game. Like he's He's using footwork. He's using, uh, you know, the, the surroundings to his advantage. Right. He's, um, a, he's a finesse man. He is a finesse man. And he's the peacock, right? Spanish peacock. Mm -hmm. um, but of course it all, it all comes to a, to a bloody end for Ramirez as in the, in the darkness, he gets his head chopped off. 
he does. And uh, before that, though, he, you know, he makes it seem like Heather is his lady. Because he knows if uh, Kurgan knew that Heather was Connor McLeod's lady, who know he, he who knows what he would do. But yes, we'll get into that a little bit later on with the reveal for that. Uh, but yeah, he definitely does get his hands on Heather. Uh, but we don't quite know what what all went down until a little bit later on. So with that said, where are oh yes. Now we're back in the present time, and Brenda has tracked down Nash at his antique shop. We meet uh, Rachel, who is Nash's assistant. And then we quickly have a flashback, Chad. I know you probably love this one, yep. where it's Connor versus the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think this was in the original theatrical cut, um, but it, it talks. It kind of shows us Connor, and I think he's in, you know, in France in the 40s, and uh, he finds this little little girl, and uh, he saves her from these crazy Nazis, uh, kills a couple Nazis in, in the process. And then uh, he gets shot and, and he tells the girl like, oh, it's some kind of magic uh, as to why he survived, which is another song from the soundtrack. But he uh, it, it comes into play later as well, it, a line that he delivers to Rachel towards the end. But I don't remember that much from my childhood, like seeing that scene, but. Uh, I'm pretty yeah, sure there, it wasn't. Well, there's a few in scenes in here that I wondered if they were added. I believe they were. Because we'll get into that too. But uh, so Connor ends up agreeing to go to Brenda's for dinner, but Brenda is, you know, really still kind of leery about this guy. So she's got the whole thing planned. She's got a gun loaded. Yeah. Uh, she's got a tape recorder going before he gets in there. Like right when he knocks on the door, she starts to tape. Um, so he comes in. She has to excuse herself. She's not quite ready. Um, Say, oh, go go make yourself a drink, Nash. Make yourself at home. Somehow he knew about the gun and the tape recorder. Um, and then he even peers out the window and he sees old uh, Bedso sitting out in the car watching the case in the joint. Um, so, yeah, this is a... How did he know? Is this part of his Highlander or his uh, immortal powers? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like he's been around enough women that he, uh, he just doesn't trust them, right? Right, and he did his his uh, due diligence on her. Uh, prior he did to coming over because he came bearing a gift. Uh, so when Brenda tells him, "Oh yeah, I work for the museum," blah blah blah, he knows it's bullshit. Right when it comes out of her mouth, um, and she realizes that he knows it's bullshit when she opens the gift because right. the gift is the book she wrote on ancient sword making, which it seems like a book that you probably have on your shelf right now. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a little lengthy. Uh, but for anyone who's interested in, you know, the, uh, the concept of, you know, folding steel, um, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. So, uh, you know, th- that kind of, the cat's out of the bag. He talks, he calls her out on the gun, the tape recorder, the cop. Um, so not a real pleasant uh, visit, but he did enjoy the 1718, 1783 glass of brandy. Yeah, that was a cool scene because, you know, he, the bottle, he pops the bottle with the cork and it's bringing back these memories, you know, uh, that he, uh, you know, he lived in that year. So it's like he's he's basically like reciting things that he remembers from 200 years ago, right? Um, which is cool. You know, it, it's it's different from just somebody talking about what happened in the year 1783. But um, even though she doesn't get it, it's cool for us as viewers. Right. 
and we do get a, a flashback to Connor and Heather, and, and we get kind of what Ramirez was warning him about, because while he hasn't aged, Heather has grown old, and we eventually get get to the point where she's at the end. End of her life, laying in bed. She, she was like, I don't want you to see me like this. Get the hell out of here. Right. Um, you know, so th- that's the that's the sadness part of, of being it is. immortal. And, it, and, you know, there's some questions that you can you can raise about uh, what happened after the Kurgan was there. Did he just leave and just like, eh. right? Like, was, like you know where he lives. Like you could have just waited for him. Yeah, that that was. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I guess whatever. Who cares? So then we go back to the present day. Uh, Connor meets his friend Castigar, uh, and the two talk the gathering. It's the, it's the, it's the talk of the immortals. Yeah, it's it, it's a big thing. And then this is where this was a scene where it's like, was this added in? Because we flash back once again, 1783, a duel with uh, Connor and just, I don't know, some sort of wealthy human being. Right. Some lord, I believe, maybe. And uh, didn't like something that Connor did or said about his wife. And, you know, the challenges him to a duel. But, I mean, that's pointless. But the guy doesn't know. He doesn't know, and his little assistant doesn't know. Uh, so it's just like a comedy little right com- comedy bit. But it's like it seems so out of place and seems so unneeded. It really does. I think it, it seems out of place for the character of Connor. Um, I think in the con, if you if you look at his relationship with Castagir, uh, they were supposed to be old old buddies. Uh, at, at some point in the script, the original script, they they fought in the Revolutionary War together. Right. You would think they would flash back to something with that. Yes. Like, Here, here's us back in the day. Right. And there, there was a scene that I don't know if they ever filmed it, but there was a scene where they, uh, the two of them met Thomas Jefferson at a bar and they were, you know, big drinkers. And, and so there, there's, you know, there's always hints like throughout the rest of the films as well, uh, Highlander three and stuff that, that Connor, you know, would really throw him back and he would basically get himself in trouble. Like, I think there's even a scene where him and, uh, Duncan McLeod are like locked up in a jail together because they were out boozing it up too hard or something. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it really does feel like a place, especially in this film, because this film is much, much more grim than than the rest of the series. Right. I mean, yeah, five minutes earlier, we saw his wife die. Right. And now, haha, look at me. She, not only that, but she was, you know, with her interaction with the Kurgan. Right. We can, we can assume it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it definitely felt out of place. Uh, we got to catch up with Kurgan now that yeah. you mention him. He's uh, leaving the motel. The front desk guy, I don't know why, decides to talk about the kinky things that Candy said Kurgan likes to do. And this is a part that I could relate to so much because the Kurgan just is <laughs> like, don't ever speak to me again. And I've had this feeling so many times in my life when just somebody just has to say something to me <laughs> that I was not needed. I don't, it's often there's like strangers or just people that I worked with that were some of the most annoying human beings on the planet earth. And you just wanted to be like, don't ever speak to me again. There's no reason for you to speak to me. There's, it, it serves nobody any good to shut the fuck up and never speak to me again. But Kurgan got to do it, so I applaud him for that. Kurgan pulls it off too because he's menacing. Right? Uh, yeah. If I said it, they'd just probably be like, "Oh, Chris, right. you're funny." 
Yeah, and we yeah exactly. They wouldn't take you as seriously as Kurt, yeah, take Kurgan. Part of the reason I think we didn't mention it earlier when Kurgan fought Ramirez, he got a nasty gash across right. his throat. Like Ramirez almost got his head off, uh, but he sliced his throat pretty good. So you know, as we get Kurgan in the 1980s, he just has a bunch of fucking staples in it. Yeah, <laughs> so kind of it looks little, little Frankensteinish. It looks awesome, uh, and you know, it's funny. I believe Kurt, uh, Clancy Brown played Frankenstein in a in a film right before well, this came out. He has the body type for it, so yeah, he does indeed. He'd be good for that. So we get the Kurgan and Castiger sword fight, um, and this one unfortunately for Castiger and with him getting decapitated, we get that whole electrical disturbance. They're in like an alley. So there's all these windows, you know, you know windows blowing out. Um, and this whole thing is witnessed by Kirk, who is a former Marine current survivalist, I believe is what they describe him as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's basically kind of reminding me of like a guardian angel in New York type, but, but with guns. Because, yeah, he's he's going for some vigilante-style justice there. He sees this fight going on, and he thinks he's going to do something about it. Right. Um, and all he ends up doing is go to the hospital. He's got a trunk full of guns, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and he was all, he was in uh, Star Wars. He was in, I think he was, oh, shoot, what was his name? I think he was the one that was in the uh, Snowspeeder with, with Luke. Oh, Dak, or was it Dak? No, maybe it wasn't was Dak. It he was one of those guys. It wasn't Wedge. He played one of those guys flying around. It might have been in one of the X-Wings, but um, he was definitely in one of the Star Wars films. I can't remember what his name was. But in, in this movie, yeah, he's just like some crazed former Marine who's basically out there looking to get into some shit. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, let's take – I'm going to take a look at who he was. It says – ah, jeez. He was in Empire Strikes Back. You got it right, Chad. Okay. And he played. IMDb sucks. I yeah, think we were talking about this before we went on the air. Yeah, it's tough to scroll through there sometimes. He, sometimes he, it won't load. I think he played Zeb. Okay. So there you go. But yeah, very I don't remember good, who Zeb good, was. Good, but... good call, Chad. So uh, yeah. And and this is where we get kind of another scene that was like, was this more again more like strange comedy yeah. in as Kurgan. Now the, that's the other thing. Kirk had like this, what, like a Trans Am, like a real cool car. Yeah, he did. That was obviously nobody was driving it because Kirk yeah. was dying in the alleyway. Why didn't he just get in that car? No, he, instead he, there was an elderly couple who kind of stop along and say, see this quite, quite a scene. I mean, there was obviously a crowd attracting. You, right. Right. You can't just, fight have a sword fight in new york city and not expect people to see it um so yeah he basically makes their car a convertible because he uses a sword chops the roof off throws the guy out the woman's still in the car and then they just go for a, a crazy ride and she's on the hood of the car before you know it and again <laughs> just was like all right this seems out of place to me it's a it's a weird scene and we get more of it later actually and then uh even in and hinder what I consider Highlander three, the final dimension, they, they basically do it again hmm. uh, with Mario Van Peebles, um, which, you know, if, if you've seen that movie in any time recently, you'll remember that Mario Van Peebles character is essentially just like the Kurgan light. All right. Well, MVP. But, okay. Yeah. No, but, I, I have never seen any of the, uh, 
other Highlander films. I saw a uh, um, movie theater in Chillicothe. It was a uh, back-to-back, what do they call those? Double feature? Double feature. Of um, Star Trek Generations and Highlander 3, The Final Dimension. Amazing. Amazing day yep. for you. It was a good one. So uh, we find out Kirk did survive the encounter with the Kurgan. He is in uh, in the hospital, though. Please come in to question him. Uh, mentions the next scar that you had brought up earlier mm-hmm. that came from the battle with Ramirez. So we go back to Brenda, who is uh, digging into Nash's background, and she finds out this he's been around since at least the 1700s that they have some sort of record of. And, uh, you know, obviously this is... How the hell is this possible? Is what right. It, it's kind of a cool scene too because they use like you know she's a forensics person, so it's about time she used some of this, you know, you know, some of her skills for to help her like learn some stuff here. But they they kind of take these signatures from uh, what is it like the deeds to his place or something? I yeah. don't remember what it was, yeah. but and then they kind of match up all the signatures, and the dude hasn't changed the way he writes. His writing style has stayed remained the same for five hundred years. <laughs> Uh, so he, they, they kind of match all these, these letters up from different signatures and realize that he's had several identities over the years and they've all been basically like people, you know, children or babies who died at birth. Right. So, yeah, he, he's, he's gotten away with it for quite a while and, uh, good on him. Yeah. And it's a quick scene. They don't spend a lot of time talking about it. And then, so it makes sense for Connor, you know, he's, uh, He's afraid to love, afraid to be loved. So he just kind of runs from things and, and, you know, essentially fakes his death and, and, and runs off and gets a new identity. So I guess it's that easy. Well, yeah. And he had plenty of time to practice, obviously, and and research these uh, possibilities. So one of the other things that Ramirez, I believe mentioned during the whole training background story was that you can't fight on holy ground. Immortals yeah. cannot fight on holy ground. And that comes into play here because Kurgan finds Connor at a church because one of the things Connor does is he lights a candle for his wife on her birthday, I believe. Yeah, he does. So, so he, he's at church. Kurgan finds him there. They're not going to fight, uh, but he still gets in quite the blow to Connor because we find out that uh, Kurgan raped Heather or as he told him, like, I raped Ramirez's woman. Yeah. And then when he sees the way Connor reacts, he's like, oh, wait a minute. That wasn't Ramirez's woman. That was your wife. And, uh, you know, that's that's big time right there. That's a freaking psychological blow yeah. for old Connor McLeod. Right. And, you know, kind of at that point, Connor is ready to, to kind of face the Kurgan. Yeah. Um, you know, if he needed one last push, this was it for sure. And uh, for a guy who's kind of, I don't know, he's not, you know, he's not all in on this immortal business. He's not like, you know, excited about, you know, his lifestyle anymore. So um, it, it seems like whether he wins or loses against the Kurgan is, is less of consequence. He just wants to kill him as fast or whether he wins or loses the prize uh, is less of concern for him. He just wants to kill the Kurgan. Yeah. Yeah. All right, in this next portion of the show, guys out there who are, are looking to hook up with a, a lady. Um, yeah, let's you, do you, it. You may want to, to listen to this because Connor goes to Brenda and confesses, you know, 
what he is. He's immortal. And he even stabs himself to prove, like, yep. look, I'm fine. Nothing's going to happen to me. And this is where we learn, at least in his case, that honesty is the best policy because the minute he reveals all that, uh, it's on like Donkey Kong, Chad. Oh yeah. It, it, it It's kind of strange. Cause he's like, he pulls the knife out and he's got, he's bleeding on himself. And then he just immediately like kind of grabs her by the face and starts making out with her. So I would think that, you know, they, they little hanky panky after this. And, uh, I would think that she'd be covered in his blood. Yeah. I would think so too, or and, and possibly other bodily fluids uh, with all Whoa. that's going on there. Uh, at wait the, a second uh, at the apartment, but uh, yeah. So what are we you talk. Wait, we, what? We've we've got uh, yeah, sexy time in the Highlander. Um, oh yeah, and it. You know what, Highlander. I mean, when I was a kid, Highlander three had the greatest you know love scene ever. It was my favorite. Uh, but I will tell you one thing about Christopher Lambert: he is not afraid to suck a titty. And he does it in a lot of movies. If you watch enough Christopher Lambert films and there's a love scene in there, he will put a titty right in his mouth. Well, that could be for the uh, YouTube After Dark series. Um, <laughs> I'll get I'll get to work with that right away. A compilation of Lambert titty sucking. <laughs> it could I, be strangely popular. I bet you that one might get a little bit more views than a... Uh, I don't know. Training that montage trip. That might that might get me shadow banned. It could. It could. We could be out of out of the YouTube business for the, for that one. So so that's the good news. The bad news is yeah. Brenda's now in the danger zone. Uh so the curtain comes to her apartment, snatches her up, and once again <laughs> takes another woman on a joyride she doesn't want to yeah. be on. Uh this one at least made a little bit more sense. Like he's just screwing with Connor and like yeah. for meanwhile, that poor old lady, she was just a gawker so i guess she just got it for being nosy i don't know yeah i don't know he's crazy by the way yeah he is and he's running <laughs> people over he's causing yeah. all kinds of accidents because he doesn't he's not gonna die in a car you know, crash you know what but but there's also a question there too because he uh, he obviously doesn't just like heal like if his arm was chopped off now he's just got one arm because mm. his neck is all jacked up right true his neck didn't just heal. He's got freaking staples in it. That is so, true. So, I mean, I know like maybe a stab wound, it would scar over, no big deal. But, I mean, if he gets in a... a but is uh, it only the neck that would do that? Because that is the, the weak point, I guess? And that's possible. We don't know. So, like if, um, if his arm did get chopped off, would that grow back? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe you should watch... Highlander 2 and see if they mention it in that. I, I'm not going to watch that movie. Go ahead and start that off tonight. I'm not going to watch that movie, especially not tonight. But I'm, I don't think I'm going to watch that ever. Ever. Uh, Please don't. Uh, I'm not going to. Uh, the Renegade so, cut makes it a little bit easier to swallow, but it's terrible. So Russell Nash, it's time. It's it's Russell Nash's time. Win, lose, yeah. or draw. I guess there's really no draw in this situation. He's going to die. He's he's writing himself off. It's time to to get another identity. So he has his goodbye to Rachel. Um, uh, another emotional scene there. Yeah. And uh, you know, because again, Rachel you know, cares about. The, I mean, this is the man who saved her life and and, and and gave her a new life because she would have been slaughtered like the the rest of her family was. Right. And he uh, he leaves her everything, right? Yeah. 
everything. Yeah. So, so what about what's he gonna do if he if he wins? Is he just gonna like just be poor? Or, I don't uh, know. Open a titty sucking business. I don't know. <laughs> Nowadays, you know, you get get your OnlyFans or whatever. He made with those mug shots. Oh, he's got it made. Yeah. He does. He's gonna be so popular, and it just yeah, he has a titty sucking OnlyFans account. <laughs> Something for everybody over there, and uh, <laughs> tips him and for Terry tits. Gordy, him and Terry tips, Gordy, tips for tits, and everything's going good for for old uh, Lambert or McLeod or whatever his name would be at that point. All right, well, once again, we're off the rails, but we're gonna go on. <laughs> so now, though, here's the big one. It's it's the battle. The final oh, battle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Brenda is all like she's all. T- what are they on top of like a building? She's on some yeah. sort of sign. And, it's a uh, big ass eighties neon sign with yep. a freaking uh, uh, a water tower up there and shit, and and she's tied up there like it's a nineteen thirties you know serial that you're watching the Lone yeah. Ranger, uh, which is great. It's a it seems like something that a, a super villain would do. And, you know, and that water tower comes into play because then the whole roof is filled with water, which again, yeah. I mean, this to me, I mean, one of the most visually fantastic final fights I've ever seen. It's just amazing. With, and just even once they, once they get off the rooftop, they crash down to the floor below. You get those opaque windows behind them. Yeah. And just this huge wall of glass basically behind them. And it just, again, one of the best scenes just for the visuals um, that I, that I've ever seen. And yeah, uh, it, when you think about the, the, especially this fight, I mean, there's, there's so, uh, this movie is so cinematic, right? You know, we talked about the, uh, how amazing Scotland looks in this film and the Highlands are just like their own character almost. And, and he has these visions of these battles that he fought in and they're really epic and there's smoke and it's, it's fucking raining and everything looks awesome. And then you get this, this amazing last fight and you have this awesome music. This movie would be so good shown like on like an IMAX screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be perfect. Could you imagine if, you know, if Freddie Mercury and the titty was, sucking, I mean, was, come was on. still with us and, and they could have done like a queen performing live while you watch oh, this thing on, on, a, dude. on a big giant screen. And I, and I used to get, you know, get very excited when I watched uh maximum overdrive. Cause you know, that that's like an ACDC soundtrack. Yeah. And this movie is Queen, which, you know, I'm I'm probably admittedly more of an ACDC fan, but the fact that these songs are original for this film, I mean, it blows it out of the water. It's so good. Yeah. Queen did some work in the movies with the, with this one and obviously Flash yeah. Gordon. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, the, the music becomes a character in and of itself. Yeah. It tells in, a story. Yeah. It, it really does. And it, it sets, it does exactly what music should do. It sets the mood and sets the tone. And uh, yeah, so we get uh, we get the battle. There can only be one. Uh, so Connor finishes the job. Ramirez couldn't. You get those windows blowing out. Uh, so now you can see that New York skyline behind them. The electrical disturbance is going on. Quite the finish. Uh, he's got the prize. Yeah, I guess that. I guess it. That's over. It's <laughs> I guess over. the gathering was three people. I guess so. Um, we get uh, Ramirez come back, kind of Obi Wan Kenobi style. Yeah. Uh, we see Connor and Brenda smooch, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, this one is all over. But uh, 
Highlander, and, and you brought this up earlier, continued on. Uh, it, it did. Qu- quite a legacy with uh, multiple sequels, um, <clears throat> the two live action series. The only thing I did watch, I've never watched the this, this series or the movies. I did I used to see some of the animated, the, the cartoon. Yeah. Because I that, think it was on right before like All American Wrestling or something on USA. So I would think I would just catch it getting ready. Right. And and that that was a I believe that was like far into the future and it was like a a, a descendant or whatever of of the McLeod family. But yeah, I mean the the series uh, they did they did a second film and uh who was the director director McCulkey Russell McCulkey was that who it was? Macaulay Culkin directed one Macaulay of them. Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, Russell McCulkey, McCulkey. Um it's amazing that he did this film. And then he also did Highlander 2, which is one of the worst films ever made. Um, but, uh, I mean, this one, it, it like, it's so great. And when it ends, you're like, oh, shit, he won the prize. And he now he has, like, the ability to, like, read people's thoughts and do these things. And he can also have children and he can have a family. And, and I assume he can grow old now. Is that? I guess. So his prize is like, now he's going to die and <laughs> eventually, but, um, they make more sequels and it's not over. He's not the last one. And it, it's like, they realized like they made this movie and it was awesome. And they're like, Oh shit, we should have never had him be the final one. <laughs> like we should have just said that wasn't the prize. Like I thought it was the prize, but it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but you know, because of it's it's Hollywood or whatever, they were able to to squeeze out, like you said, two live action series. Um, one being, you know, his his cousin Duncan McLeod, played by Adrian Paul, which was awesome. And I think it was like six seasons or some shit. It was pretty long. And you even got uh, what became the fourth film in the series, which was Connor and Duncan in the same film together which was also great. That was huge. Yeah. That one I always wondered because I didn't, the only thing I really remembered about seeing Highlander from, uh, you know, the eighties was there can only be one. And I was very confused yeah. that now there's two. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, the whole, there can be only one, like, okay, it's, it, it's a cool idea. And it, it, you know, this first film, they, they do say it a couple of times. And at the end of the film, when, after he, kills the Kurgan for the final time. He says it afterwards and then he gets zapped with all the crazy electricity shit. But, uh, he, uh, the idea that there are other immortals out there, which like the series was kind of your, uh, villain of the week kind of situation where every, you know, every episode was like, Oh, there's this other guy that I met in 1700s. And then you would get flashbacks of them, you know, like fucking, you know, revolutionary war or something. And they're fighting and, uh, or this guy's like a pirate or some shit. So you would get a uh, you would get these new villains of the week, and and it, it played really well as a series because you, you you could just be like, well, we've never actually seen the last you know immortal. We could just keep going this going on forever if we wanted to. But um, yeah, it, it's strange to to think that the first movie actually ended with Connor winning, and and then you got like seven more projects after this. <laughs> yeah. But, so, somebody decided we 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 need to milk that cow for all it's worth, and uh, we were stupid for letting it go. And I feel like with the second movie, that, that might have been why they went with the whole crazy alien planet 
Because then you could be like, well, more came from the planet. Like more guys showed up. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, like they almost decided like it, we're just going to have to take a hit with this second one, but then we can do whatever <laughs> we want with it after that. Right. But then if you look at like Highlander 3, it just completely uh, eliminates Highlander 2 from memory. It's like, ah, it never happened. So it just kind of follows the first film in a way. But uh, and that's been known to happen <laughs> in the movie world as well, yeah. where, where we have a, a Halloween movie that ignores a lot of uh, sequels that came right. in between. And right. Superman, uh, Superman Returns. Yes. Ignored some Supermans. Three and four. Yeah. He yeah. is a deadbeat dad now. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hate you, that movie, by the you're way. You're reminding me why I haven't watched that one in many, many years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So any final thoughts on, on this uh, this movie, or have you have you already shared those, Chad? I mean, it, it is. You want to say it's a yeah, great part of my childhood. I I probably saw this way too early. You know, um, I loved it then. I love it now. I think it's it still holds up as a film in, in every way. Um, I think it's easy to love Christopher Lambert as a character or as an actor and as a character as Connor. And then Ramirez is great as a mentor. And, um, when I was a kid, we, me and my, my friend, when we were probably like 10 or 12, we, we had all the, the plastic swords, like every plastic sword you could buy at, you know, whatever store we were shopping at, we had them all, you know, pirate swords and knight swords and freaking sabers and this and that. And we'd be out in the yard playing, playing Highlander. Like that's what we did. So, uh, it, it goes back a long way for me and, and, and um, it's certainly up there in my list of favorite movies. Yeah, this one, I'll be honest, you know, I, I saw it once way back in the day and never saw it again until, you know, this this past year. So it was a, a fun to revisit uh, again. It obviously did not speak to me the way it did to to a young Chad Cruz. Yeah, I just, I just kind of moved on to whatever the hell else I was moving on to. Probably Jean-Claude Van Damme or Predator. I don't know. Right. But uh, yeah. And uh, one of the things I wanted to point out a little, you know, we, we talked about the uh, Terry Gordy and the, and the free birds and the whole wrestling years later, edge would be an yes. Islander end game. So the, the wrestling tradition would, would come back to the Highlander series. Right. He played the, uh, he was like a, like a thief, like on the roads. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Adam Copeland, Adam Copeland himself. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you think you know on. him. You, you think you do, and uh, <laughs> you really don't. So there you go. So yeah, Highlander, another Chad Cruz favorite covered here on the Bulletproof Podcast. What we do next, nobody knows. Not even me. Yeah. But no. let's talk about real quickly social media. Follow us at Bulletproof Pod on Twitter, at Bulletproof Action on Facebook and Instagram. And I want to mention something on Instagram. Uh, last month I had posted a, like a fan created poster. Uh, the, the artist is Paul Mann is his name, uh, for first blood. And I don't know what's going on, but this thing is blown up and is, I think being shared across the globe 15,000 times over because, uh, so many people liking that. I almost feel bad. It's like, no, it's, it's, you know, that's find the artist, Paul Mann. He is the man because that is a great poster it is. that he created and uh, it's, it's getting a lot of love. So if you want to give it some of it, if you're one of the few who has not seen it, check us out again at Bulletproof Action on Instagram. Of course, check out the site, bulletproofaction.com. 
and chat. I, this one's one of our longer episodes we've had recently. Yeah. So. Yeah. Check out the YouTube page, uh, Bulletproof, Bulletproof Media slash Titty Sucker. Well, don't do that. And again, if if you if you can't find it under Bulletproof Media slash Titty Sucker, just go to bulletproofaction.com. Oh, okay. And, and click on the YouTube link, and it will take you right there. And again, subscribe. Set the alert so you know when Chad Cruz has actually done some work. And, uh, you know, you won't have to worry about it because it will be dormant for about six months. Uh, <laughs> probably after the holidays. <laughs> Give me a couple more weeks of, like, yeah. original stuff. And then, yeah, I'll... Yeah. I'll He'll hit the holidays and... I'll forget my password. Or... get hectic and he won't do shit. Uh, yeah, that's for, usually for what happens. So enjoy it while you can, folks, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> And if you're listening to this months after the fact, you know, I guess it'd be new to you and you could, and then maybe that will encourage Chad to be like, Oh, wow. Things are getting, yes. I better get back to it. Uh, or maybe not. We just try to do what we can with Chad Cruz here. at <laughs> All right, Chad. Well, thank you for joining me as always for this interesting conversation and look back at the great Highlander starring Christopher Lambert. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And as always, Stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 